flesh, for his devotion is eternal. Because of his great goodness, we have never lacked, and we shall never lack nourishment forever and ever for the sake of his great name. For God provides for and nourishes all, and gives food to all, and prepares nourishment for all of his creatures which he has made. Blessed are you, O Lord, who nourishes all. Amen. <laughs> All right. So, a couple of announcements for those of you who weren't here during prayer time. Is there anybody who wasn't here during prayer time? You weren't here during prayer time. Here we go. Okay. And good challenge. So, are we are we complimented fully? Here she is. We complimenting. Good, good. Hi, Andy. Good to see you. Hello, Ben. 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 Hello. <laughs> you keep chewing, it's okay. Okay. All right. Uh, 16 Adar, 21st portion of the year. This is Kitisa, right? And um, we've got four uh, special Sabbaths coming up over the next four weeks. Next week is Shabbat Parah. It's the uh, Sabbath of the uh, red cow. And it is uh, a reminder from the sages in naming this Sabbath thus, thusly that uh, if you need to burn up a cow and get those ashes for those folks that need to get ready to become clean again after touching a dead body so that they can eat the Passover, now's the time. That's what that Sabbath is all about. The following Shabbat is Shabbat HaChodesh because it is the uh, Shabbat before, the last Shabbat before the first of Nisan. It also happens to be the first of Nisan. That's pretty handy. What is the very first command given to the children of Israel? Sanctify the new moon. Sanctify the new moon. Yeah, and that's what Shabbat HaKodesh is all about. The following Sabbath is also a special Sabbath, the third one. That would be Shabbat Hagadol. That is the Sabbath right before Pesach or Passover. And then the following Shabbat is in fact Passover itself. So, we've got four of them coming up, and all of them are designed by the sages to teach us something and remind us of something, uh, not only about Messiah, but about God's calendar. So we want to be mindful of those things. Four very quick announcements. First, uh, Johnny May's dad was released from the hospital to go home and die. That's what he was told. Yeah. So he's in Tennessee, and uh, speaking with his dad, and uh, asking for your prayers to... Uh, uh, make that a, a profitable time, uh, both for he and his dad. Uh, secondly, Diana Nunez is beyond great with child, so uh, we're looking forward to uh, God's blessing there. Morgan Bartos is due tomorrow. She's not here today because she, she just feels like she's nine months pregnant. So, um, And of course, Pesach is upon us, so the whole uh, spring cleaning that uh, we have traditionally is... Is uh, comes from Passover and getting eleven out. So uh, the men are going to be studying kashrut and the whole eating kosher stuff, or not eating kosher, or thinking you're eating kosher, or trying to eat kosher, or really what is kosher uh, on Tuesday nights over the next. Uh, well, it'll be a two-year sermon series that uh, we're going through. Um, but uh, but seriously, we you know you want to you want to look now, and um, I personally am one that does not fall 
uh, with some of uh, Judaism today that allows you to uh, take your chametz and cover it or sell it or give it to a Gentile nearby and then buy it back afterwards. I mean, it's just if you see what the picture of, uh, of uh, leaven and chametz in the scripture is, you do not want to be doing that. It just spoils the whole picture for this great word picture that God has provided for our children. I was just going to comment that my wife tried to encourage Joshua and Diana to come to the Purim party on Wednesday yes. to come as Joseph and Mary. She could be great with child. Yep. So just saddle up the donkey and pan. At which she replied to my wife and said, we saddled up the donkey, but the donkey refused to move because Mary was, was too big. <laughs> so anyway, that night's picture, she'd come in the door and then she'd go into labor, and then Joshua would have to be in the hospital hallways dressed like Joseph. Yeah, that, 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 that would be a little tough. That would be a little tough, yeah. yeah. There was no room in the inn. That's, that's right. <laughs> Lucy, you got a lot of explaining to do there. That's right. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and uh, for those of you who didn't hear, Isaac has asked for and received my permission to do, to court my daughter Christine. And uh, Christine is uh, babysitting two very elderly women. Uh, when I texted her a good Shabbos this morning, she had just told the old ladies that they could not come downstairs. It was too early. <laughs> so she's having a blast over there. Um, so, we have... Um, we, we have... Uh, I think Jonathan uh, mentioned this during the tourist service. To me, it's got to be one of the coolest portions there is. It is that last yeah. Well, that's that's true. That's true. And and, and this one really is. Each one. <laughs> that's right. Ratcheting up. Um, truly, this one says so much about Messiah. If you don't grab a couple of things, uh, if you haven't heard before, before you walk out, you want to make sure you've got at least two pictures of Messiah from this portion that are absolutely incredible. And as Jonathan pointed out in the service, it's one of the saddest. Just having made covenant with God and then ending up, you know, making the. Uh, Making the golden calf. Actually, I guess he didn't make it. But this was an interesting version. He wrapped it in a cloth, threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. Uh, you know, I hate it when that happens, but you know, I guess sometimes it works that way. The um, the haftarah is great with uh, Eliyahu uh, on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. And uh, boy, I tell you, if you don't think the Bible's funny, you just need to read that one in some good language. Get away from the King James for just a little bit. Um, that one's. I think he's relieving himself. Or taking a nap. That's right. Yeah, it's it is truly amazing the way he just taunts those guys to uh, to to make uh, fun of them. Okay, final thing before we get into the portion, um, we're thinking about providing a uh, a conference line for those of you who have to drive an hour to get here and whatnot. And if you can't make it, you can just dial a local phone number and you can be listening in on and participate um, from home. You just put it on speaker and mute it out if you're uh, at your at home. But uh, that way, uh, you wouldn't have to wait to listen. You can actually participate. So uh, we're thinking about doing that for folks like Jeremy Wright who uh, are away. Uh, maybe even the Hackett's who are uh, coming to visit. That, by the way, I don't, is a couple coming? Yes. Yes. So um, uh, the last Sabbath of this month, which is two weeks, is a community Shabbat, and it would be not Torah, Sakodish. 
Right? Mm-hmm. right? So Shabbat HaKodesh, we're going to have a Brit Bat, where we name um, my granddaughter, my first granddaughter. And uh, the Hackett's are coming from Paducah, Kentucky, which just sounds like it's the middle of nowhere. And it is. Um, so they'll be here visiting their entire family. And a couple's coming up to visit the Uphams, and they're Shomer Shabbos. So they'll be walking here, we suspect, from the uh, hotel around the block there and coming in the back gate. We clocked it at a, a mile four. So uh, for those of you who are driving here, you might want to stop at the hotel and walk with them, and it'll look like Providence Road. You know? um, but, uh, That's actually a good idea. Yeah. But uh, we're really, uh, it's going to be a, a great uh, a great morning. And I hope that you will, uh, and we're, we're inviting everybody that's meeting at the uh, uh, Raiders for portion discussion to actually come for the tourist service here or at a minimum come for the Brit Bat and Onyx. So we're going to be packed out. We're praying already that God would be gracious with the weather as he was today and that uh, nobody spills anything on Alan's carpet. So... Um, <laughs> exactly right. Sadie. God will provide. Yes, yeah, God will provide. All right. Yes, ma'am. I do know of Paducah. Paducah, Kentucky? Really? Yeah. I lived in Lexington. Really? And it's not far from there. Okay. Yeah. So it's not totally unknown. Yeah. All right. So, Kitisa. What does Kitisa mean? Is to raise up, right? So uh, you can see this in two pictures in your mind. One would be that of a shepherd holding the rod up to the neck of the sheep as it's coming through, so that he can slow the sheep down long enough to get a good count. Uh, the other way is, you know, the lifting up of the head would be like a father um, putting his finger under the chin of his beautiful daughter and just gazing down into it. Um, they're 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 one and the same. To, to lift up the head is uh, is an honoring thing. Um, and it has a sense of that. And I think it's pretty cool that God knows each and every one of the people that he brought out of bondage. And I don't mean just that bondage. The bondage. Each and every one, personally. And that's, uh, that, should, that should excite you, that uh, the creator of the universe has such great concern for you. All right, so let's... Uh, I mean, this is, as Jonathan said, one of the longest portions that we've got. So I'm, I'm almost at a loss as to how to uh, break this up. So I think I'm going to do it in three sections. First time up the mountain with the uh, coming down, oh my goodness, we've got a problem. The golden calf. And then second time up the mountain. And then uh, four sections. We'll also go with the uh, whole tent of meeting, the face, the attributes of God, and that. So let's do first. First time up the mountain. What what's who can summarize for us? What what happened here? Everyone jumping at once. First time up the mountain, he receives the first set of tablets. Okay, so in in uh, in apostolic scripture ease, the word did not become flesh and dwelt among them. It became stone. The word became stone. Right, the Torah became stone. That's. Interesting, because then it, you know you've got to juxtapose with the with the with the Torah becoming flesh, right? So good. I've heard about these tablets. The sages are. Uh, I've got some pretty cool stuff. Have you read some of that? On what the tablets actually looked like? Um, they do have some interesting comments. Of course, you know the, the real cool thing is the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The Those fire. fireballs yeah. come through. 
<laughs> I have I have read that the tablets were actually transparent, made out of stone, but you could see through them. But it says very specifically, it's written on both sides, but you couldn't see the back writing from this side. So you didn't see the back of the Hebrew letters backwards. You know, you only saw that side, but you could see through it, and then they turn, and you could see through that. How Another cool perspective is that? is that they were cut all the way through mm-hmm. to the letters. Right, the letters go all the way through. But so the, the coolest part of this is that the samech is like our O. Right. So what's so, holding that? So the, in the center, when you do an O, if you've ever drawn an O, in the center of it, there's still something. So the tradition holds that the what was left over of the stone tablets out of, cut out of the O hovered. Inside right, staying the there. there are no donut holes. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So how cool is that, right? So we've got some some great stuff the sages have uh, talked about with the with the tablets. So what what else we got? He goes up, gets the tablets. How's how's the uh, how's the relationship? Right, it's peaked at that point, I guess. We're, we're doing good here. Good. Right. Yes. Did we did we get any stiff neck comments at that point? Not yet. This we're, st- we're still okay. This is towards the end of his first set of 40 days. Right, right. So how many times did Moses end up going up on the mountain and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? Three, three times. Three times. So this is the first time up, right? Okay. So he's up there, gets the tablets, comes down. And you've got the famous thing in the movie where Joshua says, Wow, I hear the son of war. In the camp. You know, and he's starting to grab his sword and everything, and Charlton Heston is like, that's not the sound of war, it's a sound of revelry. You know, they're, uh, they're not doing well down there. So, Dathan and the other guys, and all that with the cows. So. Real quick, um, before we get all the way to the bottom, yeah, this, literally. this section wraps up the, uh, the discussion of building the tent of meeting. Um, and at the very end, I think it's kind of funny, again, God doing things kind of out of order. After giving them this like five chapters of what's going to be how he's going to make that only at the end of it does he say oh and by the way here's the guy that's going to do all this stuff um, Betzalel who interestingly enough is the grandson of Hur who we'd seen two portions ago I think holding up Moses' arms one, and, one arm one arm yeah one of his arms right um, and gets mentioned in the commentary rather tragically in the next section um, but in this point, um, Bezalel is chosen. And there's a, a couple of cool things. One is the fact that it says that God says, I have called by a name. Like the, it looks like in the Hebrew, it's not... I mean, the vowel pointings, of course, are added. But the implication to me was not that it was by his name. It's definitely not, it's not by his name. It's not even by the name. It's by a name. Almost like... Um, I was talking to Dad this morning. It's almost like it, rather than calling someone who's already there by name, it's almost like he... Like in the sense of creation, it's like he created Bezalel for the very purpose of making this. this How cool is this? So it's not like um, you know, it's not a job opening. I'm going to find the most qualified guy to do this. He had a very specific purpose that Bezalel was designed for. And I was talking to Juliana earlier this week. It's really funny. The person he assigns with him to help him out, Aholiab, um, in his name. I don't know the exact translation of what this would be. Um, something along the lines of. Um, my tent of the father or something like that or at least that's what like, it could be read like Ohel because Ohel which is the word for tent mm-hmm. which is used in this very portion is part of his name and this is the guy who's helping to build the tent of meeting cool cool so yeah. I, I like the fact who's that, that guy that's the tent guy the tent guy <laughs> yeah. so I like the fact that again it's a God sort of emphasizing his um, his complete sovereignty over our lives in that 
he had actually ordained these two men long before they were even, you know, young men, much less, or even in this case, maybe they are young men even now, mm -hmm. but, but much less at the point um, before they'd gone through training or anything like that. Exactly. From the very beginning of their lives, he set them aside for this purpose. We're in uh, 31, 1 through 11, if you're following along. Yes, sir. Uh, and and the other the other one, Betzalel, his name, if I'm not mistaken, means in the shadow of hell, the yeah. shadow of God. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as though he was he was given the scriptures, he was given the spirit to be able to you know to do all these crafts you know uh, with gold and silver and so forth. Uh, and his name means in the shadow of hell. So I, the picture in my mind is that you know. God is kind of looking over his shoulder mm -hmm. as he's crafting all of this There's this God-shaped shadow there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That, that? And you, you should think uh, that a tent provides protection in the wilderness by its shadow. So if, if the guy's name is in the shadow and he's helping to build a tent, it's, it's almost funny. Comment? Question? I was just asking, was that Bezalel? Yeah, Bezalel. Bezalel. Okay. And one other quick thing, um, if you ever wondered where the lengthy list of what do or do no, don't do on Shabbat comes from, from Judaism, they get it from this portion. Absolutely. And the reason they get it is because the word craft is the same, um, melacha is the same word when it talks about don't do work. So what, this, what the sages are saying is, well, the, the Shabbat passage is, is compared to building the sanctuary. So God's saying, you can do all the sanctuary stuff, but not on Shabbat. Hence, this is the primary list that they use for what you should not be doing on Shabbat. Exactly. Because they stopped on the Shabbat. That's right. They stopped building the tabernacle. Yeah, well, he's right in the middle of telling me exactly how and what to do. He says, and oh, by the way, don't forget. You have to keep the Shabbat. Yeah. Also, just going back towards the beginning, God's telling Moshe, you know, different attributes and different things that are going to be in the tabernacle. And I, but He starts off with talking about the census. So when you take a census or when you lift up, you know, the 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 head, head of people, right, to, to count, uh, they're supposed to contribute the um, half shekel. And it's interesting because it, it it concludes by saying this half shekel will atone souls. Uh, you have silver um, metal is providing atonement. Uh, and so it's it's good just to be reminded from you know from where we came, atonement normally doesn't uh, has nothing to do with with uh, with silver and, and money and but just to going back into the toilet, atonement comes from various places. And if if you take what the Bible says for what it says, then that's why you are going to um, provide Shekels as a form of atonement. It's it's a, it's a foreign concept. That Nothing dies without atonement. Exactly. It's exactly. It's, right. it's not about you know eternal salvation. It's right. the idea of covering literally what it means. Right. right. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the thirty-nine prohibitions or malachot, um, we have guarding Shabbat from First Corinthians Zion right up here. If you want to grab one of those. Um, I won't read them all, but we're talking planting, plowing, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grin grinding, sifting, kneading, cooking, shearing, washing, combing, and on and on and on. And um, they come, as Joshua said, directly from the list that we have here. And how they were going to perform <laughs> the tasks with which they were given. Other comments on that? Um, on yes, sir. Um, after the discussion of the... Uh, uh, of the the census and paying that the shekel, 
uh, we get into the, la the, the labor and the structure of the labor. Uh, <clears throat> it's made out of brass, and it's placed between the altar and the holy place. And, you know, the Kohanim were required to wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. Uh, so, you know, the obvious picture there is our actions and the way we walk must be clean and pure and holy before the Lord, before you go into that holy place. Amen. Because... If you don't do that and go into the holy place, then uh, you know you're taking your you're, you're putting your life at risk. To, to, yeah, to exactly. For anyone uh, raised in the uh, in professional Christendom and who has been taught that it's what they think or it's what they feel, or that God's written the Torah on their heart and it doesn't matter what they do, the scriptures just don't speak to that. Here, it does really matter. And we don't see a change in that anywhere. Um, I neglected to say in that whole shekel thing that that was a, uh, a really good proof text for a flat tax. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, well, it, was, it specifically says the rich don't pay any more, the poor don't pay any less. Everybody play, pays the flat tax. I like that idea. Yeah. If all we have to pay, that's all it. we have to pay is a dollar and a half. I am. Totally that's right. That yeah, 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 that would be great. In fact, I'll pay everyone's taxes if I don't have to pay mine, and only a dollar and a half for you guys. So no, you're not allowed to. That's that's true too. Yes. So the flat tax needs to be paid by the person. All right. So we've got um, in uh, thirty-one twelve. Uh, again, referencing the Shabbat, keeping that, verse 17, is so consistent with many other comments throughout the Scripture that the Shabbat is a sign forever. Not for a few years or a couple of thousand years, but forever between God and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. And this is one of the reasons that on Arab Shabbat, before we start our meal, one of the things that we read is the back end of chapter 1 of Genesis going into chapter 2 where we actually read that God did rest in this case and, uh, and then later that He made a covenant with them. Okay. 31.18, the tablet is written with the finger of God. And Moses delayed. Now, I, I, I want to give the, the children of Israel here a little bit of a buy. I'm not saying it was a good idea to make a gap. Don't get me wrong. But if you're in the wilderness and you've been following this guy... He gets to the mountain. He goes up. In real terms, if he went up today, he wouldn't come down until like the end of April. Do you get it? It's a long time. It's, it's not like, wow, man, he's been up there 30 minutes. Can you, can you last that long on the top of the mountain? I mean, 30 minutes. You know? It's not like Star Trek. It's got to finish in 40 minutes. You know? The episode is over, and you know, the airlock is busted, and how are we going to get to it? It's not like that. 40 days. And he, and he took no food and no water. Yeah. I mean, he's got a stick. He's an old guy. You know, what is he, 80? 
He's 80 years old. 120 now. He's 80, right? 80 years old, climbing it on by himself. That's got to be tough. This is the second time he's gone up there, right? Climbed all the way to the top of four. And the first thing God says is, go get down, get down. They're going to mess up. 80-year-old guy's going to climb back down again. He's going to go back up again. Gets to the top, no food, no water. Has to deal with this stone thing. And then just to just to highlight it even more, he just walked into flames and smoke and... <laughs> You know, it's not like he got up there and we're like, I think I see him. He wait, looks like he's wait, still standing. It's a holiday okay. inn at the top. Yeah, That's yeah. great. You know, it's like you look up there and all you see is like a volcano on yeah, top of it. and burning. Uh, I hope yeah, he's okay. Smoldering, what is it, like a cauldron or something. Yeah, so 40 days and 40 nights. So I find the interaction in, in 32.7 through maybe 9 or 10, somewhere in there. Um, I find the interaction incredible. Because I like to talk for just a second about two <coughs> unique things in this particular portion. The first is this paragraph where God is, is upset, and I think this is where he's upset, right? And he's, he says, I'm, I'm going to make, I'm going to wipe these guys out. We're going to start all over. Forget that call of Abraham. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for you, right? So from now on, they're not going to be called Israelites. They're going to be called Mosesites, right? The children of Moses, I, I find that extraordinary. I couple this question with uh, later on when uh, I think it was the portion that uh, Isaac was reading where it said God changed his mind. He relented and he decided, oh, okay, okay, okay. I said I was, I I was going to kill you. No, I'm not, not going to kill you. So help me theologically to understand. I, I thought my God was unchanging. I thought that we had uh, a God who wasn't surprised by circumstance, a God who was powerful enough to use my own sin. Just I think it, it relates the same way where Abraham was asked to offer Isaac. Mm. It was a test. Okay. Adam and I was testing Moses' character. Is this really the guy for a job? Look, I'm going to wipe that mind and make a new people. Hey, you know what? They weren't treating Moses very good either. There was a little bit of grumbling and humbling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, if that was me, I'd say, get rid of him. Give me somebody that's going to listen. Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking for a team that can work with him. But he didn't do that. He, actually, well, he might have thought he was 80 years old, and it might have been tough to come up with him for the family. He he never, I don't know. I worked for the last guy. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> was gonna, he was willing to bought himself by Shows a lot about Moses himself. Absolutely, we we if, if forget the theological question. We certainly see the character of Moses here. In spades, this guy stepped to the plate almost the way Paul did, right? Paul tries exactly. to make it clear in Corinthians exactly. that he's got a better ministry than Moses did because everybody's listening to him and nobody listened to Moses. And secondly, Paul was willing to lose his own salvation for the sake of his people. Good, Rick. Um, not to get too weird here, but oh, wait, wait, we did mysticism no, on. This is a mysticism. Oh, okay. This is science fiction. As an, effort, as an effort to understand what, or to understand that we cannot understand this. Okay, good. Um, almost everybody is familiar with terms like alternate universe. Yeah. 
Um, An alternate where, reality. Where, and, uh, and on the basis, actually, at the quantum level, it, it, it's, it's a known fact. It's just at the, you know, at the universe level, does it work this way? Uh, one way of, uh, of examining this is, or is an understanding that we can't possibly understand this, is the concept that if this had happened, it would been, have been that nothing else had previously happened. In other words, it was as if God had always chosen Moses, and there was never an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Uh, it, so, so it, this is not this is not a this is not a this is not a problem for God. Yeah, it's, to be consistent. It's like one of those movies where the guy goes back in time, yeah. changes something, and now everything past that and is all, all different. Everybody's ever known is that's the way it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so I can work with that. So, but it, it not not as an explanation because obviously that gets that's even gets weird. But the the point is that there are things that we don't understand about reality yes. and about how God created the universe. That that we we certainly this is a perfect example of a maybe a a, a crack in the in the in the wall the we fabric can see of some time. brilliant light and we go whoa that's not exactly what I thought I was going on you know it's like the it's like the what's going on behind beyond behind the scenes of a stage yeah good good yes sir. I mean just going back to the character of, of Moses I mean clearly you see here the the quintessential priest right he's interceding on behalf of uh, of the people and and as you pointed out with the labor risking his life to do so mm-hmm. right well and so he's we see we see here this this picture where he's interceding he's pleading a case you know on behalf of the people and he's reminding God well you know if you do this, what are they going to say in, in Egypt? You know, and your character is going to get yeah. the bad rap here. And so he's 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 playing the classic role of, of a priest and interceding for the people, which of course is a a, a beautiful picture of of Messiah. Of Messiah. And if, and of course Moses is in fact a type uh, of the Messiah. And we see later, you know, he he has another conversation when. Uh, you know, when he comes up the second time, he has another conversation where he says, like, "Look, with us. he's he's like, look, you know, blot me out of the book, blot me out of your book, but don't blot them out." So what is what does Moses do then? Now he's willing to lay his life down to suffer the punishment that was due them. He's telling God, "I'll take the punishment. I'll take the hit. You spare them." Yeah. So, I mean, right there is an is is another classic picture of uh, of not just substitutionary atonement like we see in the temple with you know with the, with the animals, but no, this is a zadik who is stepping to the plate and saying, "I will die and take their wrath. Block me out of your book. Keep them in the book." Mm-hmm. And that's the ultimate definition of a zadik is one who. Mavatl or nullifies himself. That's a, that's a classic example. And I think that is even though God is testing him in a sense, God's not surprised by by any answer we have. Good. But it is it's a moment for for not for God's benefit, but for the benefit of Moses, for us, and for the people to realize this is the characteristic of a righteous person. This is the characteristic of, of Messiah. Yeah, well. this is the tzaddik, right. um, not unlike what. Uh, Yochanan uh, Hamakvil said, "Right, I must decrease; he must increase." Is that that nullification and, and so forth, Joshua? As far as some of the, the theological questions here, um, I think that one thing that has to be clear is that um, 
when God sp- speaks to Moses, he says, desist from me. It's almost like, you know, it's almost sort of like um, sometimes you hear this phrase when you're talking about negotiating, or you're talking about other things, you know, hold me back. I'm, I'm about to do something crazy, you know, that kind of idea. And the then, fist of fury. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, and the idea being almost like, um, you know, what I'm about to do is going to depend very heavily on what you do right now. And that's actually what the, the sages interpret this as saying, is that basically um, that was sort of what God was implying to Moses. So the sense, it's not so much that God reneged on what he said, but more in the sense that he cast it out there almost kind of like the words hang in the air, and Moses responded the right way. The what-if game doesn't get played because God's sovereign. He knows what was going to happen. Right. That's exactly. But the... From our perspective, it looks more like a what if. So it says reconsidering regarding the evil. I don't think it's so much the sense that he changed his mind. Like I was going to do this, and I'm not going to. But it's more like we're sticking a fork in a road. We're going to go one way. Okay, we'll go that way after all. You know that kind of thing. Even though obviously in his mind he knew where he was going to go. He was just stopping long enough for Moses to figure out what was happening. That was my interpretation. I, I can work. Yes. The other theological quagmire in, in, in the equation is the. Can you lose your salvation now? I mean, Moses like take and, and take, blot me out of the book. Blot me out of the book, right? Yeah. So What's up with that? Oh, and that, that Paul said that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them. So, all right. So, I guess you can voluntarily give it up. Well, can you voluntarily give it up? Maybe not. It didn't work too well for either of those guys. All right. So, so let's 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 then ask, what happened to the Torah tablets? What happened to the tablets? First set. First set broken. They're broken. Okay, so right now, from here, and he goes back up and gets the other set, you should now see a beautiful, beautiful picture of yet another aspect of the way that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, parallels or is a picture of Messiah, right? So in the same way, Moses came down the mountain with the tablets of stone. He came down with the Torah. And the Torah was broken. And then he went back up to the Father and came down again with the Torah, never again to be broken. In the same way, Messiah Yeshua, the living Torah, came down from the Father. He was broken. He ascended back to the Father. He will come down again, the living Torah, never to be broken again. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It is a beautiful picture. The other comment I was going to make was when Moses, you know, after this conversation, Moses, you know, hurries down the the mountain and he gets to the camp and he sees what's going on. It says his anger flared up. And it says he took the tablets and threw them down and and smashed them, which is symbolically saying the covenant's broken. You've broken the covenant already. These tablets represented the covenant. You just broken the covenant. Here's what the covenant. Here's what the covenant looks like to you. That's right. You know? So it's a it's a powerful you know, it image. It is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and that particular passage, he comes down. You mentioned earlier, um, not to give the children of Israel a bye, but to explain a little bit of why they did this. And actually, the sages comment that if that had been their only response, if it had simply been, we need some sort of mediator. We're going to make this golden calf. We'll offer an offering, and Moses had kind of caught them in the act. It the 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 significance of what had happened would have been much less. It would have been like that was really bad. 
but you're in kind of a tight spot. It's almost like an understandable error, even though this is an excuse. Um, but the, what the sin that is emphasized as being so grievous is that they're rejoicing. They they didn't just do it because they had to. They took a, a sick pleasure in this despicable act of idolatry. And actually, mm-hmm. the stage is going to say it went way beyond that. They say it involved immorality. Right. They say they actually killed her, um, who was intervening to try and stop them. Um, and so it, it kind of got this mob out of control, at least some of them, obviously not all of them. Um, and so the, there were, like I guess, like, what, 3,000 that were particularly engaged and then others who were sort of passively so, and then a whole bunch of people who just watched, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, and so it, that was the, the worst part of the error, was this act was done with the full will, which later in the attributes is one of the sins that actually is mentioned as being forgiven, which is an in- unbelievably incredible thought. Well, we'll get there. All right, so... You should see Moses' two trips down the mountain as a great parallel to Messiah. Remember that we learn in the apostolic scriptures that no one can descend unless he has first... I mean, no one can ascend unless he has first descended. Right? So, uh, Yeshua could not ascend unless he had first descended. Yes? This could be a little weird. Um, well, I've heard weird before. Now, is this weird with mysticism on, mysticism off, or is this just weird? It's not really mysticism, but okay. uh, if we're looking for parallels to Messiah. I was just thinking that um, you were saying Moses comes down with the Torah, Yeshua comes down and is the Torah um, broken, stuff like that. And then um, Moses grinds up the Torah and they're meant to drink it. Drink it right? And we we have to um, oh that's right. Never mind. I was thinking okay, so, uh, so finish it out. I, I, I think I don't know <laughs> a weird okay, he grinds up the calf. Oh, wait, that's like transubstantiation. Well <laughs> it was gonna be transubstantiation, but that doesn't make any sense. If it's actually a kind of calf <laughs> Well, that's gross. <laughs> well, the fact that uh, that you actually will feast on your own sin is really kind of a weird concept as well. You, then you, yes, ma'am. This is not Messiah. Okay, is this weird? Just check. No, it's not, it's not weird. It's very black and white literal. Um, of course it is. <laughs> what a shock. Um, anyway, it's, it was just a little thing I've been reading, um, Buried Treasure, by Rabbi Levin. And is that Rabbi Daniel Lappin? Rabbi Daniel Lappin, yes. And uh, he has a whole chapter on laughter, which is the word where um, Isaac's name comes from. And um, it's, I, I, I've always wondered, he brings this up in the, in the chapter, um, what exactly it was that Ishmael did that got Sarah so upset. upset. And, and she immediately goes to Abraham and says, he needs to be out of here. He and his mother, they need, we need to throw them out. Because the the English translators seem to have a little bit of trouble translating that word. I've, I've seen so many different options. Mocking, um, laughing, jesting. jesting. It's like, what is the big deal with that? I mean, he wasn't that old. It, it, what's, what's the problem? But um, you see Moses' reaction to the same word here. Because mm. when it says, uh, they, they got up to revel. Yes, that's what ours yes. said. 
again, another translation of the same word. Mm. Moses comes down and smashes the tablets. Yeah. And so obviously it, it's something enormously huge and really bad. And that's exactly what Ishmael was doing. Are you, are you uh, thinking that there was some sexual deviancy of some type involved or sexual immorality? She wouldn't think. I can interpret. I just um, Rabbi Lapin actually mentions in that chapter that um, laughter is in response to something that's out of the ordinary. Uh, you you know you you um, you hear punchline is usually funny because it's not like someone just told you a story. It's something you didn't quite expect, so it strikes you funny. Okay. Um, in the same sense, then then general sin deviancy is a break with the normal. It's a break with the way things are supposed to be. But I would, I would beg yeah, that it's not a it's laughing not funny. matter. It's not a laughing matter. Um, and actually, Rabbi Lappin mentions three sins that do show up in this passage, as this passage is mentioned as well, which is, um, I think, idolatry, immorality, and murder. And um, that's the sages say that that's exactly what took place here, too. They say that, um, and again, to, to be clear... Not all of the people of Israel engaged in all of these things. But fact, did Ishmael? Um, but, but, and does that flow to all Muslims? No, I'm only... No, no. Uh, it does appear, though, that Ishmael was involved in something like that. Mm. And, um, and so, obviously, some of the, at least the leaders of the rebel group here mm. were also engaging in that. So, um, both Sarah, in turning them out, and Moses is smashing the tablets, and then ordering the Levites to go through and kill them all, yeah. uh, were totally justified. Cool. Yes, um, so, uh, a couple things, backing up just a little bit, backing up just a little bit to the creation of the golden calf. No, I thought we were going back to the creation. Because <laughs> it is just a little bit, yeah. Um, you know, we see an issue there of mixing. Okay. They're mixing, mixing the stuff together. They're well. They're 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 they've created an idol, mm-hmm. and you know there may be different reasons as to why they did it. But at the end of the day, the reasons don't really matter because they did it. Right? They did it. They create an idol, uh, which is false worship. Okay. But then we have and, and but we have Aaron, who is the priest. You know, uh, of, of Hashem. He's the Kohen. You know, he stands up and makes this declaration tomorrow a feast to Adonai, to one true God. Right? Yeah, yeah. So we have a we have a mixture here of false pagan idolatry with where we, we they they try to kind of justify it kind by of saying it. kind of hook. By saying we're doing this as unto the Lord, yeah, yeah, and of course we know how God felt about it, right? Three thousand dead and a plague to follow. Yeah. So, plus he's uh, got to write those tablets again. Right. That's got to be tough. So, so I, you know, just again, I know, I think everybody in this company has understands this, but this whole idea of of mixing false worship with the true worship of the one true God according to his requirement yeah. is a big, big deal, yeah. right? So that, that was comment number one. Comment number two is uh, with respect to the, uh, you know, Moses comes down and he, he, he grinds up the golden calf into this gold dust or whatever, sprinkles it in the water, and it says he makes everyone drink it. Yes. Not just the implication the there is without exception. So whether you were, whether you actively participated in this 
revelry and, and whatever, or whether you were just standing idly by, mm. it didn't matter. Everybody in the camp had to drink this uh, this ground up golden calf with water. And, and isn't that consistent with what Rick taught us? Um, When's the last time you taught? Probably a year ago. Take a day off, you know. Um, a year ago with how um, our righteousness helps the rest of the community in as much as our individual sin affects Absolutely. the rest of the community. So here the folks that were standing by and not participating actually were, were had part of the punishment put upon them as well. Exactly. So... You see, so everybody has to do this, no exception. So a couple things. One is uh, gold, uh, and and my mother-in-law can probably attest to this, having spent many years in the jewelry business. But gold, if you were, if you consume gold, which there's 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 people and cultures that actually eat gold and dust. Really? Yeah, uh, India and places like that. Or pellets, little Uh, pellets. Yeah. Really? Um, It's an expensive diet. How does that go with wine? (laughs) But it actually, uh, just physiologically, it actually can be a laxative. So if you think about everybody in the camp is drinking this stuff, okay. So that's that's that's. So you're saying they were really full of it, <laughs> right? Okay. But back to the Eliyahu passage, obviously. I but I also heard a, another take on this, which I hadn't heard before, and I haven't had time yet to kind of go back and corroborate this. But I'll, I'll share it because it was an interesting thought, and that is that the reason why everybody was made to drink this. Is it? It's likened to the. Uh, it's likened to the test, if you will, of the, the bitter water. Of the bitter waters, okay. meaning that everybody who drank this, if they were guilty, if they had actually participated in this, in, in it, or encouraged, or whatever, yeah. that there was a type of reaction that happened that was visible. Dramatic. As you as as you'd say. So it was a way of it was a way of sort of separating those who had willfully kind of done this and those that's very cool. Who hadn't. And and then Moses says, you know, he stands at the gate of the camp. Nobody goes out, nobody comes in. He says, if you're if you're with Adonai you know, if you're with me, if you're with Adonai, and of course we know the Levites were the ones that stepped forward. All of them. All of them. Uh, and and then they take the sword and slay their 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 brethren. Brethren and neighbors. Yeah. And and the, this common this 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 line of this take is that the specifically the folks that were slain were those that were showing this visible, visible outward symptom. reaction to the drinking of the gold, much yeah. like the bitter waters for the uh, for the. Yeah. Okay. Now, for those of you who had weird, con- that was weird. <laughs> that well, was I agree weird. with all of it, but yeah. that was weird. Kill everybody in the privy. That's right. <laughs> Are you having problems? You're out of here. I was wondering how they knew. Yes, please, Jonathan, and then Rick, and then Pete. Eliyahu uh, spoke to the children of Israel and said. How long will you dance between two opinions? 
And that's exactly, I mean, uh, going to towards Joshua's point, I mean, there wasn't that many people. If you look at the numbers, I mean, there was more than half a million just men previously when they were counted. Right. So only 3,000 died. That's really not that much. But the greater sin is if you're not preventing some a grave evil from happening, you are partaking and encouraging it, correct? What an excellent point. So that's, and that's exactly, exactly what. We should be agents for righteousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I I hope and believe that you men in the marketplace are are actually causing that to happen. If if the lewd jokes and the profanity doesn't slow down because you are there, something's wrong with your walk. It's as simple as that. I mean, it just should be limited, or you should constantly be hearing, "Oh, I'm sorry," or "I'm sorry." <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pardon my French. You know all that stuff. You know that's a great time to say. If it were French, it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, well, I mean, this is, uh, to, uh, to Greg's point, uh, syncretism is, is something that uh, affects us all, and it's, we can all justify the way that we worship God on the basis of, of the, culture, the culture around us. And in this regard, Christianity and, and historical Christianity is most guilty. I mean, from the earliest days, uh, syncretism is the number one thing they're known for. That's right. Uh, uh, whether it's uh, picking up pagan uh, pagan festivals or whatever else and somehow applying them to uh, to this or that, this saint or that saint or whatever else. But even today we see it. Even those who reject the formal syncretism of, of, of Roman, Roman Catholicism and its predecessors uh, do the same thing with the notion and not to be against contemporary worship. But it's like whatever it takes to bring people in, that's what we want to do. So, yeah, so we'll do okay. theater, we'll do, you know, we'll do Great whatever, coffee. whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, it's it, those, those individual things, unlike idolatry, are not necessarily wrong, but when it's done for that reason, that is a that now, is a warning. Now you've categorized it. Yes. Um, you know, on Tuesday night we talked about separation and, and God separating things throughout the the, the Word. Um, was that last Tuesday night? Yes. Last Tuesday, right? Yeah. Um, but did you notice that I think at least twice in this portion he says he's going to distinguish these people as totally unique because they have a relationship or a covenant with uh, Him. Yes, sir. I was just going to go weird. Recorrect my point. Ah, okay. And so it didn't so, come out right because I, I was confused, um, but I can I can make it work. <laughs> in in that he's the god of second chances. <laughs> um, the the tablets were broken and the uh, calf, calf was ground, ground up, up and they were made to drink it. So so they were made to drink. Of of the uh, of the idol, yes. know, uh, drinking of their sin as someone else just said, and where I was going originally was that um, in the last seder, uh, Yeshua has us memorialize his death and resurrection by having us drink of the cup and eat of the bread in memorial, memorializing this redemption, mm. just sort of. Um, mm. Uh, the the inverse of what happened, I think. Good. That's, that's excellent. That's right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Notice that Peter called it the last seder, not the last supper. He did eat after that. You know, several times actually. Yeah, yeah it wasn't the last supper. Your Bible probably says that. That's a non-inspired title. Yes, ma'am. Well, this is just a practical application to uh, all of the Israelites drinking 
uh, I come from a family of nine, and if one of us got in trouble, we all got spanked. My kids don't have any idea what that's like. <laughs> so what, what happened, and dad, my dad was the one that uh, spanked us. Mother would just tell him to do it, and he would do it. And so when one of the kids had done something dumb, like throw bricks at passing cars, you know, to the hiding in the ditch, playing uh, gladiators with trash can lids on their arms and then throwing bricks at passing cars and they actually hit a car. This is a rough time. neighborhood. <laughs> so, uh, well, because they did that, we all got spanked. Yeah. And so what provoked us now is to watch out that they didn't do that because we didn't want to get spanked, even though, you know, we thought it was so unfair, but looking back it was kind of smart because when the kids started acting up the older ones that weren't doing what they were doing <laughs> stepped right to the plate and stopped mm -hmm. it because we don't want to get spanked the first time i ever got disciplined by my father it was only two times thank you very much the first time was right after church because my brothers were sitting in the pew with me my mother was the organist my dad was in the choir and they were they had brought some little toy trucks Matchbox car, and they were making little truck sounds <laughs> during the sermon. And the trucks, you know, sometimes the trucks would, you know, go over the go over the edge of the pew to the ravine and whatnot. And, and my dad slapped me across the face in front of the entire congregation because I didn't keep them quiet. And I don't say that to to, to bring him any shame. He was exactly right. I love him to death. He, I, I thank him for it because of exactly that. I recognized that I had a role. Mm -hmm. I was responsible for my brother. And isn't that the same thing with the whole Cain and Abel do? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes! Hello? Hey, <laughs> oh, and, and one thing, one of my sisters did not get spanked. Uh, all of us got spanked except Rose. Really? She would pretend to be asleep. I think there's a good lesson there that we can work on, but that'll be the next portion. All right. Play that like a bear. Sorry, Lord, I was asleep. <laughs> 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 Although, to that point, yeah. this is I think this passage helps a lot with understanding, and, and link as well with the Deuteronomy passage, it's very similar to this, to understanding Yeshua's words, he who does not hate father or mother mm -hmm. has, is not worthy of me. Yeah. You read that passage in a Christian context, there's always the little, the cute little, well, in this time, the word hate really means in comparison to. So if your love of God is not so great, it says if you hated your parents, then you're not loving him enough. The idea is actually more the sense, I think, like this, where it's, you're, you should be in a place where relation does not prevent you from doing what's right. Amen. And in the case of the actually, Levites, I would, I would, I would modify that to say that you should be in a place where your relationship overrides the other relationship. Exactly. So in this case, um, the sages actually comment, I think, in this passage, talking about the idea that um, it's like, of all people that you should be correcting when they're in error is your family, Always people you're closest to, your closest friends. And so in this case, um, the Levites, part of the reason why I think um, some people were punished and why the Levites were um, exalted is that they did intervene. They they um, they corrected people who are wrong, and actually, the, this the sages also know that this was some part of the atonement process or the repentance process, rather, for the people, in that they backed off. They they let the Levites do what they had to do instead of stopping them, because essentially that was their opportunity to also to intervene and say, "Yeah, you're right. They were wrong." Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Just going back to this 
this concept of syncretism one more time because you wonder, um, you know, and I know, I know Hazal tried to give Aaron a little bit of a buy where they can. Um, Don't you think Aaron deserves a buy? Uh, he got one from God. I can't figure it out. Well, or, or did he? Because what happens? What happens? You know, uh, in Leviticus, when his sons mix, you know, um, you know, alien fire, yeah. and they lost it. So, in other words, the sin. the sin of Aaron, perhaps, is <laughs> visited, to, is visited to his children. Could be. Could because be. of a, a a synchronism of yeah. sorts. It could also or maybe, or maybe Aaron was telling the truth. It did just pop up. Could be. It, it could also be that mm-hmm. he was the high priest, and we see in the in the Talmud how much care they took of the high priest right before Yom Kippur to make sure that the guy could do what he needed to do. He was in a special situation, and other people, you know, the whole deal. So it could be. His role protected him, even though he was an idiot in this particular case. Well, yeah. the, the, the sages actually, I think, do a decent job of balancing the two. They tried to defend Aaron and trying to explain or, or what he did, his reasons for it, and try to justify his intentions. But it's very clear, if you read, I mean, you should read this whole little commentary. When Moses comes and challenges him, he says uh, things, you know, they say things like, uh, Granted, you may have had no choice but to make it, but the worst part was that they rejoiced with it, and that happened because you proclaimed a festival. You know, why did you make them celebrate it? And, you know, it follows up later. Um, your sin against God is given to repentance and atonement, but you are also guilty of a sin against the people. Only they can forgive you for that. So the sages realized that Aaron had. They try to justify his intentions, which they do with, this, with the patriarchs all the time. Sure. And I think actually is a good thing. I think when you read scripture, it talks about um, uh, the idea of uh, you know hopes all things, believes all things, and talk about love. I think there is a certain element of thinking the best of people. All the time. But at the same time, sure. that doesn't justify his actions. And I think the sages realized that his best intentions clearly cannot overcome the fact that what he did was wrong. Yeah. Well, just like his sons, they had, they yeah, had, they had, intentions had some great well. intentions, just some bad fire. Right. I right. cut you off. Did you finish? No, I just wanted to make the connection to to his sons. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great connection. And probably ties in with my thought that being high priest punishment was not an option at that point because of his role right? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So you can't sue the president of the United States while he's the president of the United States but as soon as he's out of office you know, uh, well, that's wrong Fair not yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so I digress is that two political statements in one portion? Mm-hmm. okay so we uh, we move on. What uh, what do the sages say? For those of you who don't tend to read the Talmud or the Midrash and so forth, um, what do the sages say about the tablets and the uh, the letters of the Torah that were on it and why the tablets actually broke? Okay. Do you remember? Yeah, Peter. Uh, is it because the letters were actually giving the tablets life? Yes. So that they were able to be carried in yes. as soon as they saw, I guess the letters saw the what was going idolatry, on. they flew they off. They flew off. And they became far too heavy to carry since they were enormous. And, and down they dropped there. them and then they broke. Okay, did everybody get that? Mm-hmm. The tablets are just too heavy to carry. But the actual words of the Torah, 
the living words of the Torah. We're giving, making them feel almost weightless. It's almost like they're hovering, and, and he's just got to shepherd them down the mountain. Eight years old, that's what I would want to do. Which I just read in this book, um, Intergalactic Judaism. Intergalactic Judaism. Which is okay. a really... We're, we're really, reading top shelf books today. It's, a, it's, just, it's, it's just pointing science towards Torah and stuff like that. But they had this interesting idea about uh, gravity being uh, sort of a picture of our sin because it's sort of described by Isaiah as a burden and that we, this, our sin is a burden that we have to carry around and that forgiveness is the releasing of that bond so it feels like weightlessness. So I think that's a really cool picture in this context because you say that Torah is making the tablets being able to be carried, but as soon as you have sin involved, there too gravity heavy, takes over. It's gravity again. Cool. Good. Good. Yeah. All right. So we move on from intergalactic Judaism and heavy stones. Eyebrows. 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 I'm just gonna say. So yes. It wouldn't be like when Charles and Heston. Pick them up and throw them up. Whoever doesn't live by law will die by the law. Throw them down and then the golden cap. And did you see how far he tossed those things too? Yeah, I really. He had the beeline right to the cap, baby. The golden cap exploded. It did. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's like I'm turning the tar into a cruise missile. <laughs> Okay, um, Exodus 33 and verse 7, we'll read up to uh, 12 or 11. Now Moshe used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. It's twice he says it's outside the camp. Whenever Moshe went in, out to the tent, all the people would rise up. And each would stand at his tent door and watch Moshe until he had gone into the tent. Who's inside the tent? I don't know. Who's inside the tent? Joshua. Who's inside this tent? Who just went inside the tent? Moses. Moses went inside the tent. It's not a trick question. Moses went inside the tent. Follow me. Okay. When Moshe entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. Where's the pillar of cloud? Entrance. At the entrance of the tent. All the people, and and the Lord would speak with Moshe. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Now wait a minute. I thought the people were already standing up. Did the people stand up when they saw Moses going towards the tent? Did they ever sit down again? No, they stood outside their tent as he went into the tent. Now it says that as soon as you go inside the tent, the pillar of is it cloud? Pillar of yeah. pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses. And the people would rise up and worship. What's that word for worship? Prostrate. Prostrate. Isn't that cool? It's like a backwards deal. They would rise up in order to bow down. They would prostrate themselves, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moshe turned again on into his camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So we, uh, we don't know if Joshua was in the tent, standing by the tent. Um, seems like if he were standing by the tent, he'd be right there by the cloud. But at any rate, um, go. 
the the uh, the understanding in this trans in this English translation that I'm reading, and I think even in the, in the art scroll, Humanish, uh it says he did, you know he did not part Joshua son of Nun, a young man or I think a lad is, is how it's translated in art scroll, departed not out of the tent, which implies that he was in the tent. Mm-hmm. Right. So why would Joshua be in the tent? If, I mean, if, if, we're, if we're talking about the, you know, tent talking about the, the, the tent of meeting, right? The tabernacle. What's well, the tabernacle there? Yeah. 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 Well, it's, okay, it's, fair enough. It's, it's a, it is a substitute. It's, it's, a, it's, the, it's, it's the precursor. It's temporary. It's the, temporary. Temporary. It's the precursor yeah. to the holy place. The so holy place. Why would Joshua be in there? Is he a Kohen? No. He's not a Kohen. You know, is he a Levi? He's not. He's, he's not from that tribe at all. It is possible that he's guarding, but I would I don't know what's in there to guard, unless well, it's Moses's bedroll. But this doesn't seem to be Moses's tent. Well, it's 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 interesting because uh, the Ramban has some interesting commentary. There's some interesting in, uh, in Hebrew too because it actually says Yehoshua, and it's not Ben Nun, it's Bean. It's a different vowel point. Really, uh, Yehoshua Ben Nun. Uh, and, like and there's a there's a, there's a bunch of discussion um, uh, with Hazal about about this and why you know they kind of wrestle with this why was Joshua in the tent he's he's an Ephraimite he's, yeah and yeah it's missing the dot under the under the hood how about you? and uh, and this whole idea of being being known they do some things with the Hebrew and 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 they. Uh, you know, they they basically say this is alluding to something else. You know, something something beyond just you know the person Joshua. Um, and we we get uh, you know we get uh, here a little farther down where um, God says to uh, you know God says to Moses, "Look, I'm not going to ascend with the people." Because if I do, you'll die. I'm likely to just wipe you out, right? So I'm not going to ascend. I'll send an angel before you or to lead you. And Moses has this you know, kind of discussion. He says, well, look, don't send us anywhere. If you're not going with us, we don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. You know? and, um, and again, it's, it's as if, it's as if uh, you know, Hashem relents as it were and says okay fine you know and the commentary from Hazal is there's this there's a bunch of discussion about who this angel is and and they somewhat tie it back to you know to this being noon reference to Joshua but, but in the in the commentary they talk about that this angel is Metatron which is a Kabbalistic name for you know uh in, in in some understandings the uh, the Messiah, but in others understandings, just like this another archangel, if you will. Uh, and they go on to talk about that you know uh, Metatron is this is the guardian of, of Israel, and they point to Psalm one twenty one and make draw the connection there, where he this neither sleeps nor slumbers, and right. they they get into you know they kind of hmm. and, and they even say that because because Hashem 
um, agreed with Moses and says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go with you. And so we know he continues to go as, a, as, a, as the pillar in the, in the cloud. But the understanding, according to Zal, is that that was only while Moses was alive. And once Moses died and Joshua takes over and they go into the land, we have in chapter 5... Right off the bat, first thing. We have in chapter 5, the, this captain of the uh, Lord Lord's of hosts appears. And they pick up and they say, oh, that's Metatron who was appointed to lead the nation... But because of because of God's you know uh, because of this relationship he had with Moshe, his appointment or his responsibility was deferred until after Moses' death. Mm-hmm. And now now Joshua takes over, and this angelic being, as it were, shows up on the scene again, and he's there to to you know to lead and to you know so it's it's interesting. But it all that all of that discussion by Hazal. You know, starts with this discussion of why was Yehoshua being known, and they, they again they just because a dot is missing. We've got pages and pages and pages of content. Or yeah, but it's, but it's 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 an interesting, it's very interesting. When, when I look up noon um, in my uh, dictionary here, it says uh, from perpetuity. Um, and if Joshua means salvation, then salvation from perpetuity. Um, sounds pretty cool. Back to a Messiah kind of thing. Was he in the tent? Was he by the tent? Who, you know, I don't know. But well, he's, cool. this, he's, he's an Ephraimite. I mean, Joshua's an, an Ephraimite. And the Messiah picture here out of Orthodox Judaism is that he's, he's representative, he's a representative or a type of Messiah ben Yosef from Ephraim. Right. right. Jo- uh, Ephraim's father. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I mean, I, I didn't bring. This is all. This is all great. That's not why I brought this up. I, I mean, this paragraph is absolutely unique in all all of the world, all of creation. There is no other man, ever, ever, who's described in this way. Moses is absolutely unique in that he spoke face to face with God, and this is why. He is absolutely top chef. This is why in Deuteronomy he can say, God will raise up another prophet just like me. This, I mean, you talk about the type of Messiah. There are so many ways in his life that he parallels Messiah's ministry and work and life and so forth, even his you know, up and down and the whole deal. Uh, we're about to go through it with Pesach, but um, if you slam Moses... If you don't lift up Moses and recognize his uniqueness, you are missing much of Messiah. It's as simple as that. Um, so, well, you're destroying the very foundation. Yeah, and and unfortunately, in professional Christendom, they they miss that nuance. That you know, if we ding this guy uh, because we have this anti-Semitic flavor that we don't want to acknowledge, and you know, we're trying to keep under wraps, um, you're actually dinging the very pictures of Messiah so that Israel would actually know who he was. So, unbelievable. Alright? We move on. And we'll uh, we'll try and tighten it up here. So, seventeen thirty-three seventeen 17 to uh, the end of the chapter. Um, classic, classic deal. 
So is it true that no man can see God and live? Yes. Okay. So how is it that Moses sees and speaks with him face to face? How do you explain that? Can't see my face and live, but I tell you what, got a deal for you. Today only, only for the next five minutes, stand over there in the crack, put my hand over as I walk by, check out the back. Got a new suit, it's pleated. Not a microphone. <laughs> so what's the deal? Does he talk with him face to face or not? Yes. He does. It even makes his face shine. So how do you explain this? Can't see his face and live. Both are true. How, how is it that both are true? We're not Greek. <laughs> We're not Greek, so they don't they don't have to be necessarily contradictory. Just because they sound contradictory, that's one. Could be different faces. Yeah, it could be different faces. It could be different aspects of God, right? Uh, it could be that God is speaking to him in a way that is truly unique. Not like other prophets that saw in visions. He's actually hearing God speak, as it were, face to face. Now, I thought God was a spirit. Is God a spirit? Yes. How can God have a body? Yeah. They heard him walking in the garden, the cool of the day. He says, I will walk past you. I will put my hand over your eyes. After I walk past, I'll take my hand away so that you can look at my back. We've got a definitive reference here to feet, back, face, hands, the whole deal. I Dimensions. Thought, yeah. Because it says, I mean, sides. So how, Faces, how, sides. how can this be? If God is spirit and not physical, is he physical? Mm-hmm. Sure he is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was he in the burning bush? Or was he the bush? Was he the flame? The voice came out of the bush. They saw his voice. How do you see a voice? That's, that's, that's what happened, right? On the mountain. They saw the voice. They heard the thunder. They saw the voice. Does anybody have a problem with this? We go, we're just going to move on. You got a little problem with that, Steve? Would it, would it be the Hebrew word for see that we don't understand? I mean, is the, you know, the, the Hebrew word for see... Yes. The the key to understanding in our in our in our core service today, there's a portion after we have the Torah reading where it says see with a perceptive view. Perceptive view. That is an English uh, as an English explanation to explain away what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew does not say a perceptive view. Perceive as if not to see. That's what perceptive view. To see but not really see is what it's saying. That's not. That's what it's saying in English. That's what it says in English. That's not what it says in Hebrew. In Hebrew says ra'ah. To see, as if physically see. I, 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 I don't want to be mystical, but I think the answer is, he really is both. And that if, if we want to um, paint this mental picture of God, your picture's wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that. He is other than us. He's transcendent than us. He's different than the creation. And... The fact of the matter is that he can choose to be seen. He can choose to have form. Obviously, Adam didn't just look towards a sound. He was interacting with someone. Why would God say, where are you? Unless he was trying to draw near, right? And find him, right? 
course, he knew where he was. But could it be that he wanted Adam to come out? Well, no question about it, but I, I think the point it's is... It's a description of location. Right? It's a, it's a location thing. I'm over here. You're not. Hello? Where are you? Why aren't you coming out here? Why, why aren't we going to interact now? Same thing. Moses says, I want to see your glory. Not your face. I want to see your glory. Kavod. You can't see my my face. Well, I guess his face is his glory, right? You can't see my face and look. No man can see my face and look. So what did they see on the mountain with Yeshua? Right? To get the football jerseys on, there's three of them there. <laughs> what did the angels see in, in, in Ezekiel? Kadosh, 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 glory. Again. Right. And that's exactly, I mean, that's, Moses just came from that. He is, he was... Up at the top of the mountain, poked into exactly. that place. And he right. saw the angels, and that's exactly why why they're on the tabernacle. All he was in the midst of it. He, I think not only did the, 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 the people's sin affect themselves, but they, I think they affected Moses even. I mean, now he, he wanted to go back up there. He wanted to see his glory again. Right. But he is stuck with you know exactly. with, with, with the people that are limiting him in that stuck sense. you guys. So, yeah. yeah, I'm stuck with you people again. Oh, man. Well, what does the scripture say in the apostolic scriptures? What is the glory of God? Who is the glory of God? But Messiah. Now, this helps me to understand. I want to see your glory. Okay, so Messiah. I mean, that could work. Yes. Yes. Well, this also illustrates the problem uh, that exists that the tabernacle uh, supplies the answer or the uh, release that the 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 correct conditions whereby the people could, in fact, experience and worship God without being consumed and dying. In his presence. That's right. Yeah. yeah. To be able to draw near. This is really good presence. that it's actually in the midst of the tabernacle discussion because now we understand, oh, there's we actually can't go into his presence because of who we are and what we've done. Uh, but God's going to provide a way for us to be in his presence because exactly. he wants to dwell among us. Exactly. Because, and, and he wanted to dwell among us. And now we got the tabernacle. I mean, I mean, how many times did you say it? This tent of meeting is not dwelling in the midst of the people. He He's out. He moved it. Right. So no, no, no. We're, I'm going outside, guys. I can't. I can't I'm be with you. Separate from I'll, I'll, and you'll be gone. So, um, consume. That just hurt me. And I can't remember when it is. When he says face to face, he saw him face to face. He was in the mountain. Oh, he was up. No. Was he? Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's. Uh, I believe no, this is in the tent of he's he's a he's he's got to be outside. I mean, you can't do it inside the tent because it's a cleft of the rock, right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, Exodus thirty three seventeen. The Lord said to Moses, "Very things you've spoken, I will do for you. Found favor in my sight, know you by name." He says, "Please show me your glory." He said, "I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name." And so it's it's not on. He's already down from the mountain with the tablets. Yes. Yeah. And evidently nobody else saw that. I found it interesting that God told him when he was on the mountain what they were doing. I mean, he prepared him that they were sinning and they were, I forget the exact words, but, you know, he he foretold what they were doing. And then he gets angry once he's down there enough to smash you know, the tablet. He already knew. I mean, it. I find that a little perplexing. Maybe it's because he was face-to-face 
seeing what they were doing and maybe that gave them a righteous anger about yeah, it. It could have been. It could have been uh, just like a parent who gets a phone call from a neighbor and says, uh, you know, I, I don't know, are you guys out for dinner or something? But I mean, but your kids have this big, major rock and roll party going over here, and it's just so, I mean, the cops are already here. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. You know, you need to get home. And you get home, and it's worse than that. You know, you already know what's going on, but oh my goodness, you know, right there. So Another thing I did see was, um, to me, I saw a... Um, you know, with the golden calf and everything, it says that they tore off. Yeah, mine has tore off. The gold. Every time, yeah. Okay, and then it says they threw it into the fire. I mean, to me, I see a violence of such, mm. you know, with the creation of the uh, the calf or the making of the calf. And I saw a, a contrast between what God wants of us. You know, and, you know, whoever is compelled give, you know, to, for the temple like we were reading, um, bring your silver and your gold mm-hmm. and all that, you know, you know, give your heart, I mean, you know, your your obedience and your sacrifice, your giving is, is, is a compelling, a willingness to give to him versus the calf, which was evil, there's a violence, I I seem to see in there. Yeah, I didn't see violence as much as they were in a hurry to make this happen. Well, it says through and tear off. Yeah, so I think, were in, I think they were in a, in a hurry oh, to, okay. to yeah. get it. You know, yeah, oh, we, we, okay. can, we can have our own little God? Cool. You know, where, where do I, you know, I got my stuff. That kind of okay. thing is the way I read it. But, you know, your, your mileage may vary. Okay. Anything else here? So we've seen, I think, that the... The two things that I would I would hope you would walk away with today, if you hadn't heard before, is that parallel to Messiah coming down twice. I mean that's 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 big. It's not two different messiahs at two different times. It's one messiah two different times. Moses, that same Moses, came down twice. So that's well, came down, went up, came down, right? Um, so that's. That's important. I also think it's important if you want to follow that pattern to its extreme. Moses stays down. He comes down. He goes up. Comes down, and he stays down. He doesn't go up the mountain again. You know, he stays down. And you know, we're going to see messianic days in this. You know, that uh, he he stays with us. Yes. And the traditional understanding is the last time he went up, he ascends on a roll one, and so when he came down with the second set of tablets. He comes down on Yom Kippur, right? Which is which is interesting because, again, to the extent that there's, let's make sure everybody's with us. Elul is the last month before Tishri. It's it's the sixth month. Okay, so first of Elul, that's when we start blowing the shofar every day. To remind everybody, Rosh Hashanah is coming up. Rosh Hashanah is on the first of Tishri, and the months, most of the months, are thirty days, right? And Yom Kippur is on the tenth. Of Tishri, so thirty days from Elul plus the ten days from Tishri, thirty plus ten is how long was he on the mountain? There you go. Thank you. Go ahead. So, just again with all the parallels between Moshe and and Moshiach, it's interesting because to the extent that that chronology is accurate, and he did come down the second tablets on Yom Kippur. Um, when we look at uh, when we look at the second coming of the Messiah, um, 
my current view is that when you study the fall festivals and how they sort of are, are prophecies and foreshadows of his second, second coming, coming sure. that Yom Kippur is likely the time when he physically puts his feet on the Mount, Mount of Olives, as it's described in Zechariah. Right. So it, there's just some really cool connections yeah, there. That's great. So. That's great. Yes, sir. Just to go along there, because um, the second time he comes down, he uh, if, if effectively brings God down to dwell with the people. To dwell. Oh, that's good. You see God there at the tent then, right? Instead of being huh. only up there in the mountain, sort of, which sort of goes along with the Sukkot part of that, right? Of dwelling yeah. and tabernacling. Oh, that's great, Pete. Good. Yeah. How's it? Isn't that good? That'll preach. Are, you, are we writing this down? Somebody move out of here with that. Okay, so those are the uh, those are the biggies we want to get here. Um, the number of times and the fact that Moses is absolutely unique as a prophet. We get that right from here. Um, and uh, the face to face. So, I thought it interesting as uh, as I thought we were dumping back into a uh, another uh, recitation of the ten words. As we have in Deuteronomy five and Exodus twenty, I thought, "Wow, we're, you know, here we go. We're we're offering it uh, right in here. You should not make for yourself any gods of metal, and you know, and you keep, you, the, keep festival. the festival of unleavened bread." Well, wait a minute, that's not part of the deal, is it? And uh, and then you've got the Sabbath, and then you've got the uh, pilgrimage feasts. So these are the uh, pilgrimage feasts when uh, you go up to appear before the Lord three times a year. All of the men are supposed to do that. I saw for the first time this year. If I was going to go up to Jerusalem and I were a homeowner or a landowner, I think I'd be real concerned about leaving my property. Did you notice that this year? You don't have to worry about leaving your property because God's going to make it so that nobody covets your stuff while you're gone. Man, that's great. Can he put a spirit of non-covetedness on all of the thieves in town? Well, that's like, great. Uh, thinking about it, we expected that a little bit. Um, you live in, you know, next door to Jerusalem. It's such a big deal. Yeah. You're hiking down from, from like, the Golan to yeah. Galilee, and it's like, um, Let's go take my next door neighbors are those nasty guys that hate us. Yeah. yeah I don't want to my house yeah. right I, it, When I read that this week, it reminded me of that class we had on is thinking something wrong sin. Because Mr. Spurlock, I think it said something about uh, if you're if you covet something, you actually are going to follow through with the coveting. Because that that's sort of what you get here is that when you go up, no man will covet. And it's sort of like who cares if they're going to covet it at that time if it's just coveting? If, if it's just a thought. You could be coveting someone else's land right now. But if you think of it more as like coveting is an action, pretty much 99% there to doing something, yeah. then coveting has a, a more yeah. intense ring. It really does bring home the 10th commandment that you right. should not covet your that neighbor's That's a bigger deal than just thinking envy. about it. Envy. Right. Exactly right. This, Good. This Excellent. Thing, there is something cool on, the, on if you have Art Scroll and you have Hebrew, um, you're on page two 
well, 22. Now, no, Jonathan, if you have Art Scroll, by definition, you have Hebrew. But, uh, go ahead. Well, they do have that English-only one. I don't know. No, that's not Art Scroll. That's, 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 yes, it's, a, it's a loser translation. There you go. But there is a, an enlarged noon. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. we're going to have to check this. So what verse are we in there? This is verse 7. The beginning of verse 7. What, chapter 34? Yes. 34. During the listing of the attributes of God's mercy. Right. When it says, Preserver of kindness... Preserver, the noon is enlarged. You, you, can, you, can, you can see it, there's a little asterisk by it as well. And then, and then you go down. Wait, wait, stand by, stand by for the, uh, for the uh, Hebrew challenge. We're in verse 7, you said? 7, okay. Transcription sin, but you have known me. It's the, the, the first name. word in the. Keeping steadfast love for thousands? Mm-hmm. Right, after, uh, right, right after abundant and kindness and truth. Verse seven, preserver of kindness. That's okay. Yeah, preserver. Yeah. So it's. Oh yeah, my, my English standards got. Uh, oh. uh, yeah, co- keeping loving kindness for thousands. It's in the Kolmanakim as well. Translation. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm. So that's the first letter of the first word in that verse, and it's a noon, and it's enlarged, and you go down. Uh, n- Notes are. Notes are right. Notes are like. I, I assume preserver or not so chesed, right? Yeah, not so chesed of or kindness, and then you go down to verse. Let's see, um, is it fourteen? Uh, fourteen. Mm-hmm. For you shall not prostrate yourselves to an alien god, um, mm-hmm. and it's literally says leel achrei or to another god. Ahrei, and then in the next, the, the ending of the sentence is because God is a, is a jealous God. But, but the word Ahrei, other, the last letter in that word is an enlarged resh. Resh. So, so you have a whole chunk of that page is basically in. The new resh. Exactly. Is in kind of in parentheses, if you will, between those two characters. The first, the first letter of one word. And then the last letter. last letter of, of oh, the second sure. word. Each one has three letters in it in itself. And together they spell like Nair or uh, Lamp. It could be mm-hmm. one, one possible Nair shells word. Nair kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. So, so, that. so those are always really interesting to point out. But yeah, but you didn't point out anything other than big letters. So you got something something cool and mystical? Give me something, baby. Come on. i got to have a little more time. No, all right. Well, See, well you got a year now because we're about done with well, this one. He did give it to you. It's, well, it's, it's Nair. It's Nair. Okay, so we got it's Nair. Nair. So, uh, Which lamp, and I guess that fits with Moses, Moshe's face. I mean, and the shine. The shine you know. Okay, that'll work. See, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta bring it home. Right? So, but that, the, the large ratio is on another, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sort of like the Shema has the alarm. Achar instead of Achad. That's because right. That's the word, right? Yeah. That's right. The very one we're talking about. He's another. Instead of he's. It would be Achad if it was another. Yeah, he's one. That's good. That's good. Okay. I think that does it for us, folks. Um, any final comments on this portion? Well, the, the last you know, the last few verses there of chapter 34, with the fact that Moses you know, has this, the, the, uh, this glow about him that he has to veil. I noticed the word mask in, in one of these verses. I've never seen mask before. But yeah, he's got to veil his face. So he's got to veil his face when he's, you know, talking with the people, and he unveils it when he goes in to talk with Hashem. Unhindered. And, uh, 
and Rob Shaul picks up on this in I think Second Corinthians three, mm-hmm. <laughs> where he talks about um, you know he kind of likens this back to the blindness, if you will, of Israel in that they see Moshe, or said another way, they see the Torah, they're reading the Torah, right. but there's a there's a veil over their eyes uh, because they can't see the glory they can't see the glory um, which is the Messiah amen so there's some unique, there's some cool connections yeah there, there. is if uh, if you've not had an opportunity to listen to to uh, Timmy Tim Hag on um, on that particular thing I can't remember what the name of the uh, uh, of the the audio we got is what's so new about the new covenant? Is it what's is that what it is? Mm-hmm. What's yeah. so new about the new covenant? He goes through only two or three passages in the whole thing, right? Um, and and it's it's outstanding. He 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 just pulls that veil thing out beautifully, mm-hmm. and and you can understand from Paul's writing that the glory of the Torah is Messiah. And that the when you when you say Torah, you can use it as a synonym with Moses. Mm-hmm. What do we read every every Shabbat? We read Moses. What do we read every Shabbat? We read the Torah. If the if Moses is veiled, the Torah is veiled. If the Torah is veiled, you don't see the glory of God. You don't see the glory of the Torah. You don't see Messiah. Um, this passage also we didn't really read through it right now. Um, hopefully, you get a chance to read through it during the week. The attributes of God's mercy, which we repeat on Yom Kippur, and yep, you repeat thirteen um, attributes. Yeah, actually, the thirteen attributes are actually mentioned separately this week as part of the fast of Esther. That's right. kind of cool. The traditional yeah. readings, um, but the, it, within those is the idea that He forgives all sorts of different types of sin, um, and that when there's repentance, there's forgiveness. And the, even the, even Moses coming out with his face glowing sort of emphasizes that sense that God's presence had not been taken away. It's almost like there was a reminder, you know, maybe you're not no longer at a place where your face can glow, but God is not so distant that, that he's cut you off completely. And um, there's a cool parallel with the smashing of the tablets. The, the sages point out, um, uh, first off, to point out that the, the tablets are rewritten with the finger of God. That Moses doesn't have to etch them himself. Um, but Moses has to carve them. And what the sages get out of that is that um, we, we carve out the tablet, carve out the tablet, make, the, make a big hunk of rock into two tablets, yeah, and then take yeah. that up. And God wrote in the eighty years old. That's big. The, the hammer. Um, and the sages' commentary on that is really neat. They talk about the idea that um, Israel had fallen from that almost endemic um, holiness, like the Garden of Eden, where they had reached this amazing state, and now they had kind of reached a state of. Um, where they were going to have to work at it. It's like they um, they were now having to work to get back to that Edenic mm. state with mm. God again, um, and so which they say will be achieved with the coming of the Messiah. Right. So it's that idea that God has given us the opportunity to re rewrite the tablets, and He will do that, which is a sign of His forgiveness, is a sign of His um, reconciliation, His restoration, and all those things. But Moses had to carve the tablets out himself. So in the same sense with us, um, you know, when you fall, when you sinned, God gives you an opportunity to repent, to, to recover from that, but that it's not something that just happens. We, it's our responsibility to recarve those tablets and then mm-hmm. he writes the words in. And he is going to write on the fleshy tables of our heart, not a heart of stone. 
that same tub. I look forward to that myself. Good. So, um, so Joe, you think uh, you think Moses used Dewalt to get those uh, <laughs> those tablets out? Yeah, it's got to be tough. I mean, it's, this whole deal is tough. <laughs> or was it like on the mountain in the movie where it looks like those tablets sit there, built into this rock, and they just kind of come loose? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Petras, why don't you close us in prayer? our Father and our King, thank you for this time of discussion, and thank you for the the great man that you have surrounded us with, that we can learn and continue growing. May the rest of this Sabbath be filled with your peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, I, I hope that you'll uh, stick around a little bit and enjoy the sun outside and, and uh, rest with us a little now. And uh, um, to echo uh, Peter's prayer, if you, uh, if you appreciate the comments uh, um, from some of the older men here, over here, go tell them. And uh, 